Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Well, it's another beautiful day in the kingdom. There you go. I had to come up with like a different way to introduce the, <laughs> the episodes. I don't know. It's a good morning. I just, I like doing this stuff in the morning. So it's always a good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming to the epic story of David. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 3. Once again, we would just want to remind everybody, we covered verses 1 and one through five, technically, of chapter three already. But let me just transfer, transition. The house of David keeps getting bigger. For seven years while he's in Hebron, he's making alliances. He's gaining uh, connections. He's getting wives. He's having sons. He's getting concubines, which means... In the world of diplomacy, concubines were often transferred between nations and large tribes uh, uh, from all over, usually having to do with trade. So you probably would get a wife from somebody close to you because they don't want you to come uh, come against them in war. It, it makes you family. So in theory, you're going to be less likely to attack them. You would get concubines from people... Uh, that were further down the, the trade route, uh, you know, across the Fertile Crescent, uh, over, you know, to Iraq and Iran, uh, large, large trade dealers, large um, um, businessmen would make deals with Judah during this time, and they would, they would send a concubine to David, and that was the way they would seal the deal. So David is is gaining all these things. Uh, he's bringing wealth into the tribe. Every, everybody in Judah is living in peace. Everybody in Judah is getting uh, wealthy. And everybody in the northern tribes is observing this. And that's the other other nuance of this thing, that, that the, the phrasing that says um, David grew stronger and stronger. People in the north are watching what's going on. And they're like, that's the kind of leader we want. And they're remembering the fact that David was crowned king, that the Lord had, you know, that Samuel had prophesied that it was through David that, that uh, yeah, it was through David that, that all the enemies would be destroyed. And they're looking at what David is doing and they're like, he's like, he's doing, he's fulfilling his, his, his call. He's fulfilling what the Lord said he would do, but he's doing it for Judah. He's not doing it for us. And they're looking at Abner, who's been, you know, doing his best to defend uh, the northern tribes to keep the the heir of the throne alive. And it's not working all that great. They're not getting trade deals. They're not getting wealthier. They keep getting raided. They keep getting plundered. And uh, Abner is clearly a, a controlled person, right? He's a military commander. He's basically has a military coup going on. This is a military government. And they have a puppet for a king. The last couple of years, he's clearly a puppet. He knows that he's a puppet. He knows he can't do anything without Abner. But he's also arrogant and prideful because that's the way he was, he was trained as a child. He was 
he was spoiled and given everything he wanted, and, and he's very weak as a leader. He just assumes everybody will do what he, they're told to do because that's what they did when his dad was in charge. That's what they did when he was a prince. The servants did what they were told, and he just assumes as an elitist mindset and a, a weak-minded leader that everybody will just do what they're told. And so this whole this whole internal structure is coming to coming to a head. Abner's getting weaker. Israel's getting weaker. Uh, Ish is Ish is Shibabeth. We'll just call him Ish because I can't stumble over that for the next hour. Okay, I hope it's not an hour, but we'll see. Uh, he's just he's already weak. Which, of course, makes everyone else lose confidence when you know the person who's overseeing your your part of the country or your state or your whole country, wherever wherever you're hearing this, and you know the person is weak. You know that they're a puppet. You know that there are, you know that they they can't put together a clear vision for anything unless somebody's you know handing them notes. That's the type of leader ish has be, is and and Abner knew he always would be I think at some level Abner was hoping to you know early on especially he was hoping to push back the Philistines to take over the country I kind of think Abner wanted to run the country and he knew he could run it through Ish he knew he could run it with Ish on the throne I think he just wanted to gain the land back and and put Ish into uh, the throne at the capital city, but he never got it back. He couldn't. He couldn't defeat the Philistines. He couldn't. He couldn't push them back. And after five years, he went ahead and established Ishibabeth as the king, even though they weren't at the capital city. And I'm sure at some level that was also another power play on his part. So Abner is. Uh, you know, he at this point he's continuing to fight with David. At this point, what I mean by that is during chapter three, um, he's continuing to fight with David and show that he is, you know, still in 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 charge. He's still trying to take back the land. Uh, but Ish, who's a puppet, he also periodically gets these delusions of grandeur. These delusions that he's actually in charge because right on paper he is. And we've all met these people and some of you might have the unfortunate um, <laughs> experience of working for these people or trying to work alongside these people who, who clearly think that they're in charge because someone told them they're in charge, but it's actually somebody else who actually runs everything and everybody knows that. And when everybody knows that, they all work with the person who they know is in charge. And then periodically, the person who thinks they're in charge, you know, walks into the room and wants to make a change. And kind of everybody kind of goes along with it, generally speaking, because it's like, well, they think they're in charge. Eh, we'll change something, make them, make them continue to think they're in charge. I think Abner does that periodically. Where, you know, Ishibabeth will say, I, I think we should do this. And Abner will be like, hmm, yeah, sure. That's a great idea, King. And everybody will nod. Oh, yeah, yeah, good idea. Yeah, yeah, you are a wonderful leader. And off they'd go. And then they'd roll their eyes and uh, kind of do what they were told. And 
Mishibabeth would feel like, yes, I am king. I'm in charge. So I'm I'm guessing Ashibabeth was surrounded by his own friends who always reinforced this illusion and delusion of his power and authority. Weak-minded leaders often surround themselves with what's what we generally call yes men. People who just nod and say, Yes, that's a good idea. Yes, that's you're so smart. Yes. You should do that. I kind of picture Ashibabeth doing that because he's a weak leader, and that's what weak leaders do. They don't look for counter uh, ideas. They don't look for people to poke holes in their vision so that their vision becomes stronger. They don't look for people to, you know, run, uh, run the idea through a grinder to see if it's strong enough to handle everyday life. They just they just they just want people to tell them how smart they are. So Shibabeth does this, and and he finds out that Abner had had an affair or continues to have an affair with one of Saul's concubines. Now her name was uh, Rizba, and she was she was somebody's daughter there in the Bible. Make sure we know that. Uh, so he says uh, publicly, Shibabeth calls Abner in. Maybe Abner's already there. I'm guessing this has been brewing in Ashibabeth's mind for a while. He's got to do a power play. It's become obvious to even his little minions that dote on him that Abner actually runs the country. And you're the king. You need to get rid of Abner. But he knew he couldn't just get rid of Abner. You can't just, like he's in charge of the military. All the guards at the at the palace run under Abner. So Ashibabeth can't just, you know, pull off a couple little commanders and say, hey, we need to take Abner out. That's not going to work. He doesn't have the the ear of the elders. He doesn't have, he's never actually negotiated a contract. He doesn't have any friends. Abner's in control. The only people around him that, that you know, encourage him are the people who just tell him his ideas are good so they're just they're just yes men. And I think it's in some way, even they figured out, hey, if we don't get rid of Abner, we are actually never going to run the country. Now maybe he got some pushback on some ideas from Abner. Maybe Abner rolled his eyes publicly a few times and Ishibabeth was was offended by that. Because what he does here in this verse is is huge. It's not a small gesture it's not a it's it's not it's huge he accuses abner of treason he publicly says why did you sleep with my father's concubine why he, he literally is saying why are you you know why did you cr- commit treason against me in this nation he's a, he's telling them we don't we know what you did what you did is uh carries a death sentence and so you are about to be wiped out. And I'm going to be in charge of the country. This is a huge power play on his huge. The ramifications would be felt, you know, all over that nation. So he, you know, he does this publicly in front of his friends, in front of Abner's uh, military. 
He's trying to destroy the power that Abner has. So Abner's, Abner, of course, is completely offended by this. The, the scripture says he responded by saying, am I a dog's head on, on Judah's side? He is so angry. So angry because of his loyalty to Saul should be unquestioned. His loyalty to Saul's family, to Saul's friends, to the, to the government that he put together, even though most of the people he put into power were just family and friends, and they weren't necessarily qualified for the jobs that they had. Abner was running everything. And Ashibabeth brings up some offense that he did probably after Saul was dead and before Shibabeth was king. He probably slept with one of the king's concubines. She was cute. She was young. He he was he was he was uh, you know the military genius. Who know who knows what the circumstances were? Did what what he did was considered treasonous. Did he know that? Yes, he knew it at the time. Did he know that when Ishibabeth became king, if it became known that he had slept with her, he could be in trouble? Yes. He had no fear of this because he was in he was in charge. He was in control. He had everybody afraid of him. There was no need for him to really worry about this. Clearly, if Ishibabeth knew about it, it was a well-known uh, incident or possibly well-known affair that had been going on. So in his offense, in his offense, and 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 really, I would say he feels betrayed at this point by Shibabeth because he knows that Ish would not be in power without him. And when you feel betrayed, especially when you also have power and authority, often an offended leader will use their power and authority to strike back, to cause to you know to cause that that negative. It's a negative. They react. Right? They don't respond, they react. They And they basically say, you think you're powerful? Watch what I can do. I will crush you. That's pretty much what it turns into. It's, it's not going <laughs> to, it's not a pretty scene. Because the Shibabeth makes this, you know, makes this uh, accusation. Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Why did you commit treason against this nation? And Abner, Abner had to be just dumbfounded, dumbfounded that Ishibabeth was this stupid to bring it up publicly and to challenge him publicly when it comes to power and authority. And Abner steps up with the full military behind him, basically, knowing that there's no one in the military who's gonna who's going to go against him. And he says, What am I, a dog? What is my loyalty in question here? You think I've been siding with Judah this whole time? Because that's what treasons, treasonous reactions do, right? They they side with the other team. He goes, what's, what's going on? He goes, you know what? I didn't hand you over to David. Let's be clear about that, Ashibabeth. I'm in charge. Everyone knows that. I put you on the throne instead of putting you in jail. I could have handed you to David anytime I wanted. And now you accuse me of this offense involving this woman? Ha. Well, 
you know what? I don't care about you or this country. I think David is supposed to be in charge. And I am going to do exactly what I'm what I should have done years ago. I'm going to do for David what the Lord promised him in an oath, and I'm going to transfer this kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David over Israel and Judah. From Dan to Bathsheba, from from the north to the south, I'm going to make sure David's in charge of the whole country. Not just Judah, the whole country. And I have a feeling at that point, Abner just walked out. He basically said, fine, you want to accuse me of treason? I'll do something that's treasonous. I'll give the whole country over to over to him. You want you want to call up the military? You want to see who you actually control? Do you really want to find out just how weak you are as a leader? Then fine. Try to stop me from turning this over to David. Try. Just try. Have a good day, ish. See ya. And he walks out. And I guess all I'm I'm guessing all the guards followed him out. And the Shibabeth is sitting there in front of his little minion friends who had told him this was a good idea. And it says he was, he didn't dare say another word because he was greatly afraid. He was scared to death. I picture him, right? Abner walks out, all the guards walk out with him. Anybody who kind of thought they might not, you know, they might be on the fence, just followed Abner. And there's a Shibabeth, in essence, sitting on the throne. I don't know if he's actually sitting on the throne, but he's there sitting on a throne that he he is just woefully alone because he realizes all of his authority comes through Abner. Like it was all a delusion or an illusion on his part that he was delusional thinking that he could accuse Abner of treason and get away with it when he has no authority, no way to back it up. No one was going to listen to him. No one was going to arrest Abner. Like he didn't do any political, I wouldn't call it diplomatic. He didn't do any political wranglings to put Abner out of power. He didn't find any elders to back with him. He didn't have any families that were going to stand with him. The indication is that even Saul's family and friends were backing Abner at this point. They all knew who was in charge. They all knew that if they wanted to survive, Abner was the one that was going to protect them, not a Shibabeth. So Abner leaves, and it's it's almost as though I uh, immediately he sends messengers to David and basically says, let's make terms of peace. Let's figure out a way to do a, tre- a peaceful transfer of power from me to you. <laughs> Ashimabeth is, is literally, literally marginalized. Like he's cut out of this whole concept. He doesn't. They, he doesn't even come into the into the conversation. Abner's like, like Abner doesn't show up. Doesn't send David a list of of his qualifications. Like these are the things I need in order for me to lay down my weapons and and tell my army to disperse. And we'll just come under under an agreement with you like he doesn't he doesn't send david uh, a list of of those kind of demands he doesn't say well a shibabeth the house of saul needs to remain in power or in government 
you can, you know, we will work together with you. We'll we'll work out treaties and trade agreements, and we'll in essence be one country, but we'll have two rulers. Blah 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 blah. Nope. He says to David, you tell me what we need to do in order to make this a peaceful transfer. Wow. This is David. David now has control. Do you understand how how crazy it is that Abner gave control of the transfer over to David? This is big. How was David going to respond? This is why it's important that we understand what was on the line here. David could have demanded anything. 99.9% of transfers of power from one king to another at the very minimum means we kill off the heir to the throne of the previous of the previous uh, reign. Like like Abner's Abner fully expected to be told by David, Shibabeth needs to die as well as as well as any other heir to the throne and their families. He needed he he fully expected to be told that he he figured that's what would David like when he told when he told the Shibabeth, I'm gonna transfer power over to David. I'm going to give this country over over to him. He's going to rule everything from the north to the south. He was in essence telling Ashibeth, "You're going to die for this. You accuse me of treason. You think I'm going to die? You're going to die. And I know exactly how to do it. I'm going to transfer power over to David, and David's going to wipe you out. Well, he's going to tell me to wipe you out because I'm going to need to prove my loyalty to David. And the best way for me to do that." is to kill the people that he wants killed. And we all know who he's going to want killed. He's going to want everyone who's associated with the house of Saul to be killed. And guess who's going to be really happy to do that? Me. I'm going to be really happy because I am tired of propping you up and protecting your arrogant, uh, uh, ridiculously stupid family from being attacked. I'm just going to wipe you guys out. This will be easy for me. And that's when he walked out of the throne room. And that's why... Shibabeth is just sitting there alone, completely afraid. He's got nowhere to go. He's got no alliances. He's got no nations to go to. He's got no friends in other countries. He's never done anything like that. The only people that were his friends were the people who who literally were just as stupid as, as he was, who were in essence, they were they were servants and, and, and assistants that were assigned to him from Abner, who were who just told him what he wanted to know? I mean, honestly, this is this poor kid. Well, actually, he's 40 years old, so this this poor man has no clue what's going on except he's about to die. When Abner leaves the throne, he knows he's going to die. The only way to to redeem this is to hope Abner calms down and doesn't actually go through with whatever it is David wants him to go through with. David, on the other hand has Israel right where he wants him. He literally can ask for anything. This is where, again, the diplomacy of David is is brilliant here. It's brilliant. Because what he communicates in his response to Abner is going to communicate the type of ruler and leader he is to the nation, to the northern tribe, to the, you know, to the uh, to Israel, what's what's commonly known as Israel. 
but mostly to the tribe of Benjamin. He He's going to be like, whatever this guy does is what we're going to have to live with for the you know, for our live long days till he's no longer king. What is David going to do? I have great confidence. The most everyone expects <laughs> death. At the very least, they will be stripped of lands. They will be stripped, stripped of homes. They will, they will be, you know, groveling for food They're not going to be, you know, they're going to lose all their positions in the government. They're going to lose their livestock, all their, all their, you know, salaries that was uh, paid to them through taxes will disappear. They're just going to be, they're going to be wiped out as a family. The people who aren't killed that aren't in direct line for the throne, you know, all, all those guys will be killed, but everybody else is going to be put into, into devastation. In essence, refugee st- st- uh, status. And they'll have to start over from scratch. Oh, so David's response is brilliant because he says, I would like my first wife back, Saul's daughter. I want her returned. Now he explains to Abner, you know, he's like, hey, uh, you know, Saul, I, I, I paid for her. Saul asked for a dowry of 100 foreskins. I gave him 200 foreskins. She's mine. And he gave her away while I was gone. Wasn't, wasn't his daughter anymore to give away, but he did. Power move on Saul's part, public humiliation uh, to David from Saul. There was all of that intrigue that went into that decision, but David's like, I want her back. Now, why would he do that? Was it because he was in love with Michael? Well, he probably was at one point. I mean, she definitely was in love with him. But he did it because politically, diplomatically, I should say, diplomatically, he was he was communicating, I'm not going to wipe out the family of Saul. I don't have any hostility towards Saul and his family. But Michael gave me a legitimate connection to the throne. By marrying into the family, I had access to the throne. And that's what I want back. I want the family to know that that I'm a part of them. I'm not separated from them. That I love them. That they're family. And this communicated huge ramifications to the rest of the nation. Wow. They're, they're, honestly, this not only to the nation, but to the nations that were watching this nation. They knew what Abner was. They, they had an idea of what was going on. I'm sure that that this type of movement, the rumors spread really fast that Abner was taking you know, a military contingency to David, that he was sending messengers to David, that David was going to negotiate with uh, Abner. Everyone, uh, the servants, the, the, the shepherds, the tradesmen were, were putting out these rumors. People were watching the nation. What was David going to do? What was David going to do? And what David do? He reconnected relationally with the nation that with the part of the nation that had separated because the heart of God is about relationships 
The heart of God is about restoration, not cutting things off. The heart of God is about restoring what was and what was designed. He's about recapturing purpose and identity. These are the, you know, these are the essence of the kingdom of God. And David wanted those, those things to be part of the kingdom on earth. He wanted it to be part of the kingdom he was in charge of. He wanted heaven to come to earth. He had been there. He had experienced it. He had, he had been transferred there. He had, he had interacted with heaven so many times. He wanted that on earth. He wanted the glory of God to be shown to the other nations, to draw people to God, to draw the nations to Israel, to, to Judah, that they would be, that they would be the, the envy of the world. These are the things that were promised to Moses, and David knew that. That God said, I'm going to set apart a nation. I'm going to set apart a people, not because they're of higher value, but because by God's like, if I, if I set apart a nation and, 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 and give you land and you're going to live there, and you are going to be an example of what heaven is like on earth. David understood this. David understood this. It was to Moses that God said, and I will, I will choose a city. I will choose a city and I will, I will make that city the city of God. David understood this and David really, David believed that it was Jerusalem. David had had such close interaction with heaven that he knew Jerusalem was going to be that city, even though Jerusalem was, was run by, I forget now, Mo, Moabites? No. Something, Meridians, Meridian? Anyways, it doesn't matter. It, <laughs> and all the times of Saul, Jerusalem never belonged to Israel. It never belonged to the nation. It always belonged to another nation. But David knew, if I'm going to bring heaven to earth, it needs to be a place of restoration. It needs to be a place of family. And his, his only request to Abner was, please bring me my first wife. Please put me back into the family with Saul. Let's communicate to everyone. I'm not out for death. I'm not out for retaliation. I'm not out to turn the family of Saul into a family of renegades who have to live in the woods and the caves like I did while Saul chased me around. He could have done any of that, and he didn't. This is, this is a, huge, a huge deal diplomatically. So Abner gets this. I have no idea, and you know, officially what Abner did when he got this message back from his negotiating team. He hears back from David. All I want you to do is bring me Michael, my my the daughter of Saul, when you come see me. Wow. So when. Again, Abner wasn't there to talk to David. He sent messengers. Messengers get the get the interaction from David. It wasn't it wasn't an immediate response. I'm sure David, you know, who, whoever the messengers were, they told them we're here to negotiate terms of transfer, not terms of peace, terms of transfer, a peaceful transfer. Big difference. This wasn't a military arrangement or a trade agreement. This was a transfer of power. How can we peacefully transfer power from our nation to yours, you know, so that you become our king? So I'm guessing those 
people to, you know, they talk to the next round of, of advisors. Those advisors go to David. David's like, wow, what do you guys think we should do? I'm sure that they had a ton of suggestions. And David's like, all right, uh, but this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if we, if we go in and wipe out families, if we go in and turn them into refugees, it's only going to make their families more angry with us. And they're going to be more apt to try and figure out a way to take back the kingdom. There'll be this constant rumbling in the in the background about in you know an uh, an unhappy clan, and all an enemy needs is an unhappy clan to start building alliances around me, and ultimately they'll wipe me out. An unhappy clan can make a few trade agreements, can make a few interactions with another king, another nation, and ultimately put together an army and take over the country. I, I, I can't see doing that. Let's just reunite with the family. Let's reunite this nation. Let's do what God does. Let's bring things together. This is, this is really huge. So they write up their agreement, they give it to the messengers, the messengers messengers get back to Abner. Abner reads the agreement and thinks, I mean, he's he's got to think, this guy is amazing. Like, he is so different than anybody else. He's so different than Saul. Abner's pretty happy about this. Because as much as, as angry as he was at, at Shibabeth, he he probably didn't want to actually wipe out the whole family. He definitely didn't want to run the family anymore. He didn't want to run the country. That that was exhausting to him. He's a military-minded man. He did not want all the logistics of running a country. And and that's what he had to do because Ashibabeth was such a poor leader. So here he goes. He gets together. He he sends uh Ashibabeth an order and he says, "I need you to grab Michael." away from her current husband and bring her to me. That's pretty crazy. So, Ashibabeth gave the orders and had her taken away. Why? Because he wasn't going to do anything to cross Abner again. If Abner needed uh, the, the first wife of David to negotiate something, Ashibabeth was giving it to him. His life was in the balance. He knew that. So he does it. He does exactly what he's told. And Abner knew he would. It's kind of cute. Evidently, uh, Michael's second husband here was so in love with her. He's like following her as the guards, you know, she's walking away with Abner and the and the guards. He's He's following her and he's crying and weeping. He's just like, oh, don't take my wife away. Yeah, don't take my wife away. And Abner looks at her, looks at him. You can picture him looking at the at the guards next to him, rolling his eyes, maybe getting off his mule or off the horse or whatever, walking back to him and say, listen, you need to go back home. He didn't, the, the phrasing there isn't that he reasoned with him. He pretty much said, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you if you keep this up. Like I get it. You're gonna miss her. Too bad. There are bigger fish involved in this. There is bigger vision involved in this. You are not going to be involved in this at any level. 
So go back home. And if you don't, you will not live on any level. So go back home. So Abner takes care of that. He gets together with the elders of Israel. Look at this. This is amazing. Look at this verse, 17. For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Wow. For some time, Israel, that would be that would be the, the part of the tribe, the tribes that connected with, with Saul, right? Who let the family of Saul separate them from Judah. For some time, they've wanted to make David their king. Why? Because David is an amazing leader, and they wanted him to lead them. So he says, now do it, for the Lord promised David. This was, again, this is a well-known promise. By my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the land of the Philistines and from the hand of all the enemies. He's like, we all know the promise. It's not through the hand of Abner. It's not through the hand of Saul. It's not through the hand of Ashibabeth, God forbid. It's through the hand of David that our enemies get destroyed. Let's not question. Let's not question what God wants to do. We all know. We can see it. We can see what's happening in the land of Judah. We all know that David is it has the favor and blessing of God on him. Let's just make him king. Then he goes specifically to the family of Saul, to the Benjamites. He went there personally. And spoke with them. And it says the next thing is, is he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel. That's the that's the other uh, what that would be nine tribes and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. So he went specifically to the elders of Benjamin, and he and I'm sure he probably said, "Hey guys, uh, well." You know, we think of it in the Western culture. They probably all sat in a big tent. They probably all were drinking tea uh, of some sort, had a meal together, and they started to speak out their minds. And they all had something to say. And Abner listened to the whole thing. And they spoke about his treasonous uh, affair and about, you know, the fact that Ashibabeth was a was a terrible leader and, and there was a lot of... A lot of voices that would have been spoken, but that's 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 their culture. Nobody was going to get in trouble. It's kind of a safe zone. They get all done, and Abner says something like, "Guys, David's not going to wipe you out. I've already spoken with him. David is not going to kill or destroy the family of Benjamin. As a matter of fact, uh, the Benjamites. As a matter of fact." All he wants is his first wife back because he actually wants to reunite with the family, with the Benjamin family, with the tribe, with the family of Saul. He wants Michael. He wants legitimacy to the throne on the physical realm. We all know he has it regarding in the spiritual realm. So what do you guys think? Do you want to go through with it? Ashibabeth is out, but David evidently doesn't want to kill him. And they all agreed. So the Benjamins, the Benjamites and all the other nations of Israel all wanted to do. They all wanted to crown David their king. So Abner had 20 men with him. They come to David at Hebron. They bring his first wife along with them as, as to seal the deal. 
David prepares a feast. They all sit down. They all have this amazing time. And when they're all done, probably the next morning, because the feast would have went most of the night, the next morning, Abner gets up. He meets with David. He goes, okay, let me leave right now. I'll assemble all of Israel. That would mean the, the elders. Uh, for my Lord and King, so that they can make a covenant with you and cr- and rule, uh, crown you king, and everything will be great. And he went away in peace. Now, there's an element, you know, that I, I mean, I love, I love narratives, right? So you got this. Meanwhile, for the last several days, while while this while Abner was coming to Hebron, while the the day of the feast and the day after the feast, uh, um, Joab is out of town. He's on a raiding mission. He's out getting plunder for the nation. He's he's doing what he does best. He's doing great. So he comes in thinking I've got, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have a, a feast of my my own. I'm going to uh, he's in a good mood. He has a ton of plunder. He has provision. He has uh success and victory. He's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. But when they return from the raid, he finds out uh, Abner's no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When they all arrive, Joab and all the men that were with him, they were told that Abner had come to the king and the king had sent him away in peace. There wasn't war. There was an agreement made. There wasn't retaliation. There was there was restoration. There wasn't murder. There was life. There wasn't hatred. There was there was love. I, I'm telling you, this was huge. This phrasing is so big. I know it's easy to read over it because you just got to read over it. But but culturally, when 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 uh, Joab heard this, oh man. He was pissed. He was not happy. So Joab went to the king. Man, he went fast. He he's stomping. The dust is coming up off of his off of his feet. And he questions the king publicly. Now I don't mean he did it in the public square. I just mean he did it loudly. Everyone knew that Joab was mad. And he's like, What have you done? Abner came to you? He was right here? And you didn't kill him? You let him go? How? What? Are you crazy? Not only did you not kill him, you let him walk away? You let him walk out of the city. Unhindered. Unattacked. What are you thinking? He came here to deceive you. He came here to spy on you. He came here to see what you had in your throne room, to see what kind of servants you had, he, the, the, the defenses of the, of the city. You, you've exposed us to our, to our arch rival, to our main enemy. D- David, you're an idiot to not see what's going on. Oh, man, he is, he is so on fire in these, in these verses. He is so angry, so passionate, so intense. Hmm. Joab left the king. He's so mad. Like he literally won't even let David respond. 
He just walks out, calls them names, accuses them of being an idiot, of not caring for the country, of not taking care of, of things the way he's supposed to. And he walks out of the room and he sends messengers to Abner. He literally goes behind the king's back and he sends messengers. This See, now this is a personal problem. And that's what happens to people a lot of times. They get involved in, in things. They get, they get power. They get authority. You know, they get some leadership. And they get offended. They get offended, and, and, and in that offense, they decide to... They decide to take matters into their own hands. Even though they're not actually in charge, they decide they're going to do what they want to do and deal with the consequences later. And that's what that's what Joab did. And that's I don't know if you remember, but um, last week we talked about that. We talked about the fact that these three brothers were amazing warriors, but periodically they would cause real trouble for David. Because they would go off the rails, they would track with David for for really you know really well, and then they would just go off the rails and do what they want. And they there was some arrogance in them that made them believe that that was going to be okay, that they could get away with it. And there was some experience with them that made that belief true, because they often got away with it. So here's Joab. He he storms back out of the out of the, the uh, throne room and he sends messengers to Abner and he says, uh, "Hey Abner, come on back. Come on back and uh, and and uh, meet me at uh, at the well at the cistern, which is a holding tank, not really a well." But David didn't know that jo- Joab was doing this. And when Abner came back to Hebron, so he turned around, he comes back to meet Joab. Now, maybe he thinks Joab is under the under the direction of David. He probably does. He would infer that, that Joab is going to make peace with him because he knows that he killed Joab's brother, uh, Azarel, even though it was in war and it was during battle and he tried to warn him not to, not, you know, not to keep following him. And he used the blunt end of the spear so that maybe Azarel would be severely injured but not continue running. Maybe he thinks, okay, Joab and I are at least going to come to some sort of agreement as we move forward. So he returns to him, and Joab takes him aside into an inner chamber as if he's going to speak to him privately, and he just stabs him. He stabs him in the stomach cuts him open, and lets his guts spill out there on the floor. Wow. He thinks, there, I did it. I did the right thing. I did the right thing for my family. I did the right thing for my brother. I did the right thing for the nation. I did the right thing. David David did not know, doesn't have to know. No one has to know. It's the right thing to do. Man, man, when you're offended, your sense of right and wrong becomes uh, uh, not delusional. What do I want to say? You can't, you can't, <laughs> I cannot think of the word. You should probably have a different job, Bob. If you can't think of words and you're on a podcast, hello, hello. 
I know. Anyways, my engineer will eventually uh, speak in my head and tell me what the word is, but it becomes uh, disoriented, disproportionate. You, you focus on the wrong things. And that's exactly what Joab had done. In his offense, he just lost all, all understanding of priority. He lost the big picture. He didn't understand. What David was doing was for the nation. It was to, it was to increase the nation. It was to increase the, the, the visual aspect of God's kingdom on earth. David not only had a vision for the nation, he had a vision he had a vision from God. His interaction with God let him see this is what my nation could look like. This is what a nation that follows me could look like. This is how it will impact the world. This is how people will be drawn to God and the kingdom of God through a nation on the earth that follows after God. David understood that. And he and he knew I'm not going to turn this into a you know a, a murdering rage. I'm not going to do this in in reaction. I'm not going to do the next you know uh, come after Israel as I should uh, ex- be expected to in the culture of today. I'm going to go after it the way God would. I'm going to restore, 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 and reunite, bring families together. This is what I'm going to do. And Joab didn't get the big picture because of offense, because of hurt. And that often is what destroys people's ability to see things clearly. So David finds out about this. And he says, he says, I and my kingdom are innocent of this. I had nothing to do with this. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and his whole family. In other words, I'm I'm this, I can't even, I can't even. This is this is between Joab and God. I am not going to get involved. He says, "Me." <laughs> now he speaks in judgment. He's like, "May somebody in his family always have leprosy, <laughs> or somebody who always has a problem with their legs, who have to lean on crutches, or who falls." May may, they, may somebody always have leprosy. May somebody always be injured. May somebody always be dying uh, in in war. May may somebody always be poor. He he just. Like this, this round of of negativity is definitely not of God. David's just, David just, he doesn't know even how to how to express himself. He's like, maybe just bad things happened to him for what he did. Like, he, David, David was like, he's had such a clear vision of what was going to happen, and now he finds out that Joab took things into his own hand and completely wiped out the possibility of a peaceful transfer of power. This was going to be a huge testimony to the rest of the world of what God can do when he's in charge. And Joab ruined the whole thing, and David just spouting off at the mouth. Like, Joab's family, may somebody always have leprosy. May somebody always be poor. May somebody be dying in the sword and the wars. May may people just just have, have sore, you know, need a crutch, a broken leg. I don't, ah. <laughs> David shouldn't have said all that, but I think it's kind of I like I, I get it. I get it. David's pronouncing curses on David on, on Joab and his family for what he did. And and David should have not reacted that way. He should have responded. But I like the fact that the Bible doesn't try to pull that out of the story. David had reactions. He didn't always respond well. It said, uh, then David spoke with Joab. So he pulls Joab in. 
We get David's reaction, then he pulls Joab in. And I have a feeling in that moment, sorry, I need a drink. In that moment, when he's connecting with Joab, I mean, we see what he told Joab to do, but what he's, what he's, I think he, he explained to Joab, he tried to give Joab the bigger vision. He knows that Joab's a very talented um, uh, commander. He knows that Joab is his nephew, his family. He doesn't want to just start murdering people. Like, you, you disobeyed me, you're dead. Because that's what Saul would do. Like, that's, that's a culture of fear. So he goes to Joab and he tries, I think he explains all of that to him. And he said, this is what we're going to do. We are going to mourn Abner. We are going to tear our clothes. We're going to put on this these nasty clothes, sackcloth. It's just, a again, a public display. We're going to put ashes on our head. And I'm going to as well. And we're going to give him a royal burial, burial, or at least a you know a military burial that is that is worthy of his station as a commanding general. And the king, the king was sincerely saddened by what had happened. He was saddened because of what it put at risk. He knew that so much was was going to you know was in jeopardy. And he needed to communicate to the world that he had nothing to do with this. And he sang a song. He wrote a song for Abner and he sang it there. And and in that moment, he cried. He, He just cried. He didn't know what would happen afterwards. He publicly fasted. He spent the day not eating. Everyone knew that. David spent the day at the, I believe, at the tomb where Abner was was laid to rest, and he wouldn't eat, and he cried, and he rocked back and forth, and he sang a song. He spent the day there, and so did Joab, and so did all the men that, that Joab was with. And the people noted it. People took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all of Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. And the king said to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am anointed king, I am weak. And these sons... Of Zariah. In other words, these nephews of mine are too strong for me. Uh, basically, he's saying, "Listen, guys, I, I've mourned, and I'm I'm sincere about it. But I am not going to kill off my nephews because their family ties and connections go deep, and I'm not going to turn." My, I'm not going to turn this into a civil war because David knew he also had loyal people. He also had military on his side. Like it could have, this again was a huge point of diplomacy, not politics. 
This was David being true to the, to the heart of God, even in incredibly difficult circumstances. He said, I'm not going to turn this into a tit for tat. I'm not going to wipe out my, my nephews because, listen, this, it's, he wasn't saying my nephews are too powerful for me. He's like, they have connections. I have connections. This could turn into a, a family civil war that would involve the nation, would involve all the tribes. You know, it, it would literally wipe us out. It would, it would destroy what I know God wants to do. Now, what would God do if this had happened? Because this was a choice David had. Trust me, God's plan would have, he would have figured it out. God's sovereignty is God's sovereignty. He does not, he is not cornered by our choices. He understands every choice we can make and every resulting uh, ramification of that choice. David made the best choice at this point and in this moment. It's a testimony to David's realization of who he of his identity. He made this choice out of identity. He knew he was he was a king. He knew he was a child of God. He knew the way God would react and interact with this circumstance and he did so from God's perspective. That's called working out of your identity. And he said, listen, I'm not going to turn this into a civil war. I'm not going to turn this into, into family battles like, like that could go on for hundreds of years. I'm going to let God take care of it. If, you know, God, God, this is on God. He can repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. Now, what I believe is that what David's, what David's saying here is I'm going to let Joab and his family reap what they've sown. What they did, the disobedience, the treason, the murder, they're going to have to reap the benefits of that or the rewards of that or the fruit of that, however you want to, however you want to word it. Because that's how God, quote, repays evil for evil. He lets evil just, like, that's your choice. You get to, you get to deal with that result. Remember, David doesn't think in his head that there's a that there's an enemy out there that uh, you know that comes and goes and and does bad things. He thinks God does it all, so he's like, "I'm going to let God take care of this." And all of Israel agreed with him. That's what's beautiful about this. David's response to this very difficult circumstance, because his response, I believe, was so in alignment with the kingdom of heaven because he's so working out of his identity as a child of God. All the people that observe it see that it's authentic, that it's real, that it's that it's organic, that it is who David is, and they, they trust David. When you work out of your identity, there's, an, there's a natural trust that comes out because it's so true to who you really are, and they trust that David had nothing to do with Abner's death and the peace treaty, so to speak, that the transfer of power is going to continue to move forward because of David's response. There were so many places in this story that David could have re reacted differently and made a different choice, but he didn't because he knew who he was and he knew what God had called him to be. And he operated out of that in confidence that God would be there for him, that God was going to be faithful, that David would reap what he had sown. And David was 
was, you know, was sowing all these seeds of reconciliation and restoration and resurrection. And he trusted God to come forth with the fruit, and God did. So I hope you guys have a great day today. I look forward to continuing this story. Oh, it's so good. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.